This episode is made possible by Zero Waste Europe. This is the organic stream on compostory.org, the bite-sized podcast series interviewing experts and key figures in the environmental sphere on all things organic and recycling. Get your lunchtime organic fix here. Hi there and welcome to another episode of the Organic Stream. Today we're talking to Malcolm Williams, founder member of the UK Zero Waste Alliance, about his trip to Cairo with organics recovery specialist Jerry Gillespie. The Egyptian Minister of State Environment Affairs, Laila Rashid Iskandar, has recognised the Zabaline people as the official waste collectors of Cairo, and Malcolm and Jerry were invited over to speak with the Zabaline and assist in the process. The Zabaline, an Arabic term that means garbage people, are a community who were originally farmers that moved to Cairo to collect organic material for their livestock after drought forced them from their farms. Now they recycle all kinds of materials in order to make a living. They also feature in the award-winning documentary Garbage Dreams by Mai Iskandar. So in this episode, Malcolm gives us an insight into the incredible workflow of the Zabaline, the hardships they've endured and the reasons for their success in maintaining such a great recycling system. It's an incredible story, so please stay tuned. Just for a little background information, uh, the Zabaline were originally pig farmers who went to Cairo to collect food waste and food scraps for their pigs way back in the 1940s. Is that correct? Yep, the Zabaline are absolute. If, I, if I'd known this before I went to Cairo, I would probably take it a plaque or a Nobel Prize or something or other because uh, they are the, the recyclers, the recyclers of, of my dreams. In about 1944-ish, so the story goes, um, some of the Zabaline who were pig farmers in the south of Egypt um, were suffering some, some minor droughts and having some problems with their farming. So they moved up to the outskirts of Cairo and started collecting food waste from people by knocking on their doors and saying, can we have your food waste, please? You know, that's original, isn't it? Yeah. Anyway, they did that. And, and for five or six years, they were setting up their pig farms on the outskirts of Cairo and all the rest of it. And then in 1949, there was a severe drought in that part of Egypt. And the rest of the Zawain moved up to Cairo in numbers. I'm not quite sure what numbers. But they now number 175,000 or thereabouts. And whereas they were at the outskirts of Cairo when they first moved up in 1949 uh, and knocking on doors, now they're sort of more integral because Cairo has grown two, three, four times the size of it was in those days. So they're in uh, what I I wouldn't call the centre of the city, but sort of certainly sort of inside the ring road, so to speak. Right. And uh, they were primarily pig farmers up until recently. I know that during the swine flu epidemic, uh, all their pigs were culled. Yes, um, this is uh, more than a sad tale. They, they came up and uh, they were collecting mostly food, food waste to start with, as I said. But as time went on, and in the, uh, the 80s, 70s, 80s, they started collecting other stuff, paper, cans, glass, and started selling that. In other words, they became what we now know as sort of dry recycling collectors, as well as collected the organics, but the important thing is they collected the organics first. And the other important thing is they had a deal with the householder, not with the local authority, not with the government or anything. It was just a, somebody came and collected your food waste every day at a certain time and they knocked on the door to get it. Because if they hadn't knocked on the door to get it, if, like we have here, you, the dry recycler was put outside the door, then somebody else would take it because it's valuable. So that's the situation. And then when the, when the pigs were killed three or four years back by the Mubarak government, without any compensation, you know, the, the government didn't say, right, 300,000 pigs, at, you know, so many dollars a pig here, distribute this amongst yourselves. They just killed the pigs. And they more than halved the income of the Zabaline. We had various reports, up to 90% of income being lost. 
because they used to actually eat about 20% and then they would sell the other 80% into market. That's absolutely horrendous treatment. And they, what are they doing now? Are they still recycling? Yeah, it's, a bit, it's, it's been a bit of a problem for the last three or four years, and which is one of the reasons why I think um, anybody who lives in Cairo will say the situation is getting worse and worse, because since the pigs were slaughtered, before the pigs were slaughtered, actually, the Cairo authorities actually called in some big sort of international waste companies to do the, inverted commas, waste contract. And those big companies basically found very quickly that they couldn't actually access the 14,000 tonnes of material that arise in Cairo every day because the Zabalina have got, have got it. They've collected it from five o'clock in the morning. They're out there uh, until about midday collecting the stuff and bringing it back to their homes where they sort it out, reprocess it, bulk it and sell it. So the figures vary a little bit, but before the pigs were slaughtered, they were actually collecting 11 of the 14,000 tonnes that were arising. And all that was actually recycled or reprocessed because the pigs were eating all the food waste. And so that was 80, that's an 80% recycling rate going back three or four years. Now, that would have put them in the lead in the world as far as uh, recycling rates were concerned. And they did it because they knocked on doors to get it, you know. So it's, it's the ultimate curbside, you know, collection system with, with, a, with a sorting at the door sort of, sort of thing, you know. That's amazing. And they're not getting paid for their service at all? The stories vary slightly. It's quite, it's quite interesting when you talk to them. In some places, there, there is another process where the householder pays uh, so much per month. It varied in our discussions between five and 12 Egyptian pounds, which is about £1.20 in UK terms. What's that? Just a bit more than a dollar a month, yeah, um, through their electricity bills. And the proceeds for that are paid to the municipalities who actually organise the collections or the government. The government collect that in, in some sort of way. And I don't know whether they use that to pay the, the, the big waste companies and also the middlemen who actually sort of organise, almost organise the Zabalini into sort of districts. And the middlemen seem to feature a lot in the conversations and we weren't quite sure how they figured in terms of um, how they got paid, but they did definitely got paid. So I suspect they get paid a lot from those electricity bill profit. Um, and uh, anyway, the Zabaline basically get only the proceeds from the dry recycler and they're starting to actually reintroduce ideas about using the organics. Right, so that's what they get, and the government and the middlemen who organise them get the proceeds from the electricity bills. Yep. Right, okay. And I'd like to move on a little bit now and talk about the Zabaline's process. Uh, how do they go about recycling at all? Yeah, I mean... Um... Uh, it was really interesting from my point of view because really from the outside I'd, I'd seen from the films, you know, from Garbage Dreams and a few clips on YouTube that um, they were reprocessing in pretty sort of strange circumstances. I, and I was, I was I've sort of a little bit nervous about going thinking, oh God, this is going to be a, you know, a bit like wandering around a, a landfill site. It wasn't smelly. It wasn't brilliant, I've got to say. Uh, and health and safety certainly is probably not an issue for them. Uh, they, they're, they're survivors. They're living off the scraps and the like. But the amazing thing is that through all that sort of um, manic chaos of very small scales, workshops that are no bigger than twice the size of your living room kind of thing, they end up producing some pretty high-grade recyclant. The cardboard is cardboard, the paper is paper, the cans are cans, and the plastics are plastic sorted into all the grains. And there's some really interesting sort of um, technologies being used there. I mean, they, they make their own uh, shredders and chippers, and they actually go as far as extruding plastic into pellets and selling it onto the market at, at a very high price. So, and yeah, again, this, the health and safety is not particularly good, the extraction fans, the, the air conditioning, and all the rest of it is not what it's pretty, well, basic, if at all. If we are talking about 
what other people might call slum dwelling. Um, and then there's a lot of stuff. There's a lot of product all over the place, but it all gets bailed up for market in a way in which I think UK reprocessors would be quite delighted to receive. They would pay good price for it. It's a higher quality than we produce here in some of our so-called highly technological collection systems, especially using MRFs. Yeah. Yeah. So do they go out every day to collect it door to door? Yes. Uh, the men go out and collect it in the morning and, the, and bring it back, and then everybody scrambles over it and sorts it out, making it ready for market. There are four and a half million hereditaments, <laughs> households, flats, or condominiums, all in mostly in sort of tower blocks and various. So, and th- those houses are visited by the Zabaline collectors, four and a half million to five million estimate, at the very least every other day. In the posh areas, they're visited every single day. Every single day, somebody knocks on your door and says, can I have your waste, please? I mean, that's just incredible. That's just absolutely unbelievable. You know, and I think, you know, I mean, I, I found, I didn't know that. So for me, they're heroes. They're total bloody heroes. And they're getting, I mean, they're not getting paid very much for what they're doing. No, no, they really aren't. And what are they doing now with the organic materials? Yeah, when we asked that question, we got some very sort of... Uh, shifty looks and shaky eyes, you know, because I think reading between the lines that they do collect the organics, but they realize that the most important thing for them is to keep that collection service going. Yeah, they know that that's their stake in society, if you like. So they, they keep that going, absolutely. But what happens to the organics now varies. Now, it might be that it goes to their chickens and their goats and all the rest of it, but there's a lot of organics lying around. So you rather suspect that uh, rather than pay 200 Egyptian pounds to put it on a truck and send it up 35 kilometers to the landfill site and then pay to have it put in there, then I rather suspect that what they do, and this is, but the, this is how they answered our questions on this one, is they said they put it into the government, into the contractors' skips uh, that were lying around the place. They're not very good skips, by the way, uh, and they're not, very, they're, not, they're not emptied particularly well. Uh, so you get a lot of detritus around the skips and, 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 there's, a, and, a, and there's a lot of evidence of fly tipping, burning rubbish everywhere, which is one of the reasons why the government um, wanted Lila, I think, to be the environment minister to actually sort out the waste problem, inverted commas, in, in, in and around Cairo. So really, if the city just invested in the Zabaline, there wouldn't be a waste problem, right? Well, yeah, I mean, it turns out like a sore thumb, doesn't it? If you actually pay the people to do the work, that's a good idea for a start, isn't it? I mean, I, I'm not, I don't want to get involved in, in sort of guessing what the politics are, but we have to remember that the Zabaline are 175,000 Coptic Christians. Uh, bearing in mind that Egypt used to be a Christian country before, not so long ago, and the predominant culture in Cairo at the moment is Muslim. So, I mean, I, I don't suppose having districts where there are people raising pigs and being a bit smelly and being a bit slummy within your suburbs is actually, you know, good neighbour stuff. But if they had got paid properly for doing it, they could have invested and maybe moved out of the city. You know, they could have actually, you know, moved into the into the farming areas, which is what they started as being. They started as pig farmers. And when you ask them questions about what they wanted, they said two things. Trucks, that was the interesting one, always something plus trucks. Right. And, uh, but the other things they said were, well, we want to be respected. We don't want to be looked down upon. We want to actually have a normal life as human beings in Cairo. Um, you know, it's the old thing, isn't it? What's more valuable, a doctor or a, or a waste collector? You know, it's the old Marxist dilemma, you know. And I can tell you that if they stop work tomorrow, which they will never do, 
uh, if they stopped work tomorrow, it wouldn't take, it would be a matter of days before Cairo would, would feel the pinch on that one. Yeah, yeah, I bet. And what did you and Jerry do to help them out then? Well, that was interesting because obviously we want, I mean, I said up front, um, Jerry and I both sent messages into Lila saying, look, well, the last thing we want to do is just be another two white guys coming from, you know, where we come from, you know, telling these guys what to do. I mean, these are the, they're the experts. I learned a hell of a lot more from them than they ever learned from me in terms of recycling. They've been doing it for 60 years, you know. So it was humbling in that sense. But on the other hand, by coincidence, and we and Jerry and I sort of came to this conclusion fairly quickly, really, within a couple of days, actually, we could actually help. That We had a bit of technology that um, uh, I don't think they'd heard of, or if they had, they hadn't utilised, which would actually help them to actually make some use of that organic, organic material. Um, uh, in other words, um, the groundswell process, then, you know, no, no shred, no turn, basic equipment. Uh, it's letting nature take its course, really, basically, using uh, inoculants to foot the bugs. So we came to the conclusion fairly quickly that we could help them by asking them if they could use this, this system, which we then did, and they said they could. And we did some workshops showing them how to make the stuff that they're going to use to inoculate their compost piles with. Lila's got some plans for doing some pilot trials in six districts, five or six districts in Cairo. And before we got there, I mean, they'd already decided that they wanted to shape themselves up. I think they would call it formalization and some money from the Gates Foundation to help them formalize their organizations into what other people would call recognizable companies to actually be able to, within a few years, have a chance of being able to sign some contracts for delivering services into Cairo. Um, at the moment, they do it anyway. It's an informal contract they've got with the, the householder. Nobody recognizes that contract except them. And I'm not sure even they do, actually. I mean, they just that's something they've always done. But, I mean, um, that's the best contract to have when you actually think about it because the resources are in the hands of the householder. The householder doesn't make those resources available. As we have always said, you don't get recycling done. And um, so they've got that. So I think... I'm quite optimistic that we planted a seed of technology, if you like, and you don't get change without changes in technology, really. But in addition to that, we wrote a report which we, we thought Lila might be able to use in persuading her colleagues in the Department of Finance or whatever to think closely about the contractual arrangements in Cairo and to actually recognise the Zabayin a bit more. And it would actually make sense if they did that, because at the moment, the government are in denial. They just deny that these guys do this stuff, you know. And the only people who know full well that they do it are, A, the householders, and that includes the people in the government, of course, because they're all householders, presumably, and also the waste companies who just can't get access to the stuff, so they have to pretend. But they don't mind pretending because they're getting paid zillions to do it. You know? I mean, it is topsy-turvy. So I think it's one of those rather sort of strange problems that could unravel itself, especially in the circumstances that Egypt, that Egypt now finds itself in, with these changes of government and all the rest of it taking place. And... The, you know, the calling for change is, is there. Everybody wants that change. That's great to hear. And finally, Mal, um, do you have any last words? Oh, I can't, I can't actually um, let this opportunity pass. Last night, I mean, Lila's in London at the moment and we're meeting her on Thursday for, for a little bit of a celebration because um, her grandson, Alexander, was born last evening. Uh, and mother and child are doing well, but grandma's doing even better. <laughs> so, I... <laughs> well, that's wonderful news. That's lovely. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but fortunately, Imel, that's all we have time for today. Uh, thanks for joining us, though. Okay. All the best. Bye. All right, bye. bye. That was Malcolm Williams for the Organic Stream on Compostory.org. 
If you have any questions or comments on the episode, send them our way either by commenting on our website, compostory.org, or sending us a tweet on Twitter at compostoryorg. That's all we have for this week. Hope you tune in again next week for more great stories. You are listening to The Organic Stream on compostory.org. This episode was made possible by Zero Waste Europe. Zero Waste Europe is a European initiative bringing together 20 organisations and 300 municipalities committed to working to eliminate waste in Europe. Zero Waste Europe proposes to redesign our society in a way that all superfluous waste is eliminated and everything that is produced can be reused, repaired, composted or recycled back into the system. Music